Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You might know my guest on this week's show from Happy Endings, The Mindy Project, or the most bonkers train wreck in late night TV history. One of my favorite movies, Ben, is yeah. this movie called Bangkok Dangerous that Nicolas Cage is in. It's a real film? It's a real movie. And uh, Nicolas Cage is in it, and there's like a five-minute scene where he's out on a date with um, uh, a, deaf, a deaf girl, and they're eating uh, soup in, uh, in Thailand. And he tries the soup, and for like five minutes, he keeps going like this, like, it's hot. <laughs> soup is hot. The soup, it's hot. Steam. <laughs> Steam, the soup is hot. Yeah, do it for the full steam, five minutes. It's like a hot steam. It's too hot to drink. Commit for the full too five minutes. Too hot to drink. And then finally the deaf girl like reaches for the soup and he goes, no, 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 no. It's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> this is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast and that was Adam Pally guest hosting The Late Late Show on CBS back in 2015. If you listen to our episode with Ben Schwartz, who was Adam's sidekick on that January night in the middle of a New York blizzard, you know that I'm kind of obsessed with his off-the-rails comedy performance that has only become more legendary as the years go by. But that is just one of many reasons why I wanted to have Adam on this podcast. Another is that his really funny show, Champagne Ill, just recently started streaming on Hulu after it kind of came and went without much fanfare on YouTube a few years back. Then there's his major role behind the scenes of one of my favorite political comedy shows of the past few years, The President Show. Adam was not only an executive producer, but also came through with an inspired Donald Trump Jr. impression. More on that later. He's just an all-around hilarious actor and improviser, and I'm so happy to have him on the show today. Here's me with Adam Pally. Thanks for doing this, and um, I'm glad you could make some time on moving day. Yes, no, and thank you again for having me. If you hear, <laughs> if I'm holding the mic too close and you hear me like Tony Soprano nose breathing, <laughs> or you hear like strips of, of tape being like ripped, I, I apologize. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, welcome. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I, I had not seen uh, Champagne Ill the first time around when it came out on YouTube, but I just uh, watched the entire thing over the past few days on Hulu and uh, I loved it. And I was like, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I missed it. <laughs> oh no, it's not your fault at all. There's so <laughs> much, there's so much good television. How could you, how could anyone find everything? Yeah. You know, it now- would be impossible. But it's been a it's been a bit of a, a bit of time since we made it. Yeah, does it feel weird to be like promoting something that you in an, in another world? Um, it definitely feels weird to be promoting promoting something that I made like way pre COVID. But um, at the same time, like um, there's no rules anymore for like how TV works, how movies work, how things are found or not found. And I'm really proud of the show. So if this is what it if this is what it takes to like get it a second life, then. Whatever, you know, I, I, I uh, enjoy talking about it because I, again, like, I really love it. 
Yeah. So it started as a, a YouTube original, which I didn't quite know what that was. And now it's on Hulu. Yeah. I didn't really, I don't really know what a YouTube original is either. <laughs> Can you explain the premise for anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to see it yet? Because it has a very uh, specific premise. <laughs> well, you would hope that most shows have a specific premise. The premise is uh, about like a, a very, very successful and famous rapper who kind of after high school takes his two buddies and rides to the top and uh, is living that that insane lifestyle. And um, in one of his video shoots, the famous rapper dies and uh, it leaves the um, two best friends without an education or really even a driver's license. <laughs> so they have to start from scratch again um, in their hometown. How are you guys holding up? Shitty. Super fucking shitty, Craig. Yeah. So the funeral is tomorrow, back in Champaign. Oh, the funeral. I didn't even think we're gonna have to do that, right? Uh, so you know what? Just um, just tell the plane will be wheels up around three or four. And as far as like lunch goes on the plane, just you know whatever's the easiest. Yeah, we don't want to put anybody out. There's not going to be any lunch on the plane. Right. Right, of course. Because if we're leaving around four, that's that weird no man's land between lunch and dinner. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit of a tweener. Uh, I can't even eat right now. I'm so sad. No, no. There's not going to be lunch on the plane because there is no plane. The label chartered the plane for Lou's tour. So now that Lou is... Oh, shit. That's right. I'm sorry. I mean, I guess we'd be fine flying commercial. Our main concern is getting home as fast as we can to be with Lou's family. So even if we can't fly first, you know, uh, coach is fine. I mean, not, not, not coach, coach, obviously. What's, what's, what's the other kind uh, of thing? business? Business, right. So just to recap, first option would be aisle first. Second option would be window first. And then third option, I guess... Maybe like a couple of rows each of coach could feel like first. Yeah, yeah. N not coach, coach again. What is it called? Uh, business. Business, right. I think I have grief brain. Is that a thing? Craig, could you Google grief brain? Yeah, so you and, and Sam Richardson play the, the two friends. Then you have Jay Farrow, who's kind of... that's You kind of have a good trick there because he seems like a, you know, a pretty big name to die in the first episode. Yeah, Jay, Jay is one of the funniest, most talented dudes... Uh, on the planet and did us a huge favor by coming in. And he, he, he comes back a couple of times throughout the season, but, um, incredibly believable as a famous rapper too. I, I, and I he's bought so it all good. the way. Yes, of course. He's so good. I mean, that is really him singing and him rapping in the, in the show. And he worked no, the with song's the, great. The main, thank the main you. He worked song, with yeah. the PJ Morton from Maroon five. And, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, he, I think it had, had he chosen to do something else, he could have done that too. Um, it's kind of, you know, the, the show is a little bit in the world of like, what if uh, Vince from Entourage died and what would happen to the people around totally. him? I know, I know you have a, exactly. a special love-hate relationship with that show. Was that <laughs> on your mind at all when you were when you were working on this show? I wouldn't say love-hate. I, I, I appreciate that show, you know, like, you know, Entourage is like a fabric of, of, of my growing up a little bit like you you know i i think a lot, a lot of young men they like watch that show and hollywood became obsessed with this term of like wish fulfillment like living living out the lives of you know regular people in hollywood and i don't know I, there was something about that show that just struck a chord in me and so um we always thought like oh this is kind of a version of that but but 
but if the if there was no money left <laughs> and there was no a lot of that um, show was like yeah wish fulfillment best case scenario this show is like worst case scenario <laughs> for these people yes it's it's actually like a, it's it's super interesting it's like i'm sure there's some socioeconomic paper to be written about entourage and the time it was created in champagne ill and the time it was created where like um, you know, when Entourage is created, the, the the general public wants to live through the eyes of a of a rich and famous person. And then at the time that this is created, all the general publics, all the all the people in the general public kind of feel like they are movie stars. So they they actually want to see what happens if it goes wrong. Uh, which is actually like there is a paper to be written there. I <laughs> certainly won't think about it again after this <laughs> sentence, but yeah, I mean, your character and Sam's character are very much like they kind of think that they're famous, but they're not, or they were adjacent to fame, um, and then it went away. So, do you, I mean, did you think at all about your relationship to fame in this, and how you know you live in this uh, you know world where you're you have a sort of I think you have a pretty perfect level of fame and i think of you know i've heard other people talk about this where you know you're maybe not in the tabloids every day but you you know get the get the good perks so do you think about that at all in terms of what level of fame is actually ideal before it turns into a disaster what are the perks you speak of oh yeah well maybe there are none you could tell me i'd love to know no there are definitely perks of fame <laughs> i i love i would love to know the perks of fame that you would assume that i would get because i haven't really found those yet like I can't call up a restaurant and be like, uh, my name is Adam Pally. I'd like <laughs> table for two. They'd be like, uh, well, my name is Gary and no, you know, like that doesn't, I don't know if that ever really flies. Also, I'm not the type of person I think that would ever do that. But, um, to answer your question, yes, uh, I think it made Sam and I definitely, definitely think about our fame a little bit for sure at the time. I don't want to sound like prestigious, like, oh, I don't, I don't live in Hollywood, but, you know, like I, I did for many years and I, I'm sure I will again. But, uh, there is something nice about living outside of Los Angeles, outside of like the, the kind of all consuming entertainment industry that, that keeps you from, um, like reaching that level of tabloid fame, like, uh, neither Sam and I have like dated a celebrity or like, you know, I think there are certain things that bump you up into that level that well, I feel are, like S Sam's like making a play for action star now. So I don't know. He might, he might be getting there. Sam can do whatever he <laughs> wants to do. Sam is the, one of the most talented. He really is humans I've ever come across. He also plays bass and loves ska. Uh, <laughs> I, did not I, know I don't that. mean to put him on, I don't mean to put him on blast like that, but, um, no, Sam, Sam's career is literally wide open. He can do whatever he, I mean, I, I, I was telling someone like Sam is going to direct one day and I, just from working with him on Champagne Ill, like so much of Champagne Ill was the two of us like learning from each other and the different things that we've come up doing. And, you know, he's, he's got a really great career ahead of him yeah. and behind him. Did moving to New York, you know, change your, your life significantly in the, in these ways where you weren't thinking as much about the industry or you felt like you could yeah. kind of step away a little bit? Yeah, totally. I think it, I think naturally it does. Um, you know, in some ways it, in some ways you think more about stuff than you did there. And in some ways you think less. And I think like the, that give or take was, was, was I needed at the time where it was like the things I was thinking more about were not necessarily the things that get you where you want to be. You know, they're like a, they're like, you know what I mean? Like I, I needed to think more about like the actual things that I was creating and doing 
And I think you can become obsessed with that in New York because you out, you are at like right outside of this like Hollywood nexus. So you, you become obsessed with like, well, what's the thing that I'm going to do next? As opposed to like, sometimes when you're, when you're there, you, you become obsessed with like, well, what's the thing that like will get me going? It's like, you know, not necessarily a, an organic way to think. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you started, you know, it, at UCB, was that in New York that you started or in LA yeah, when you, I started at, in UCB, New York. Yeah. Um, and that was like almost 20 years ago. Um, so I mean, what, what Oof. were your, what were your, put, me, were on, your, put, put me on blast. I guess I deserve <laughs> yeah, that, man. I deserve that. I deserve that. What were your aspirations then when you were just starting out at UCB in terms of what you, what you wanted to do in this comedy world i don't know i don't know if i had <laughs> i i don't know if i had aspirations i mean i think like you know like everybody like you know i wanted to be on saturday night live or or write on saturday night live um or work for the daily show or you know like there are only so many jobs you could have coming up in new york and it at first it you first get to the UCB and you're like, I don't know, I'm just learning. And then very quickly you're like, whoa, it's attainable. Like there's a wealth of talent that, that I was lucky enough to be around at that time to like see every night and learn a craft from every night. And there are names that, you know, are huge. There are names that you see every day on screen right? and commercials and you know, some, of the, all... some of the funniest people who may not be the most famous. Yeah. And then some of the not funniest people who are famous, it's like, it didn't matter. So, I mean, you said, you know, SNL and the daily show, were those like opportunities that were, that were coming your way and, and in terms sure, of auditions yeah, I and bombed, stuff? I, oh my God. Yeah. I bombed so many daily show auditions. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I had a couple that were interesting and I, you know, I, I infamously or not infamously, but I, I didn't, I, I didn't understand the assignment, I guess, and <laughs> if for the SNL audition, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had a meaning a long, you didn't do what they, you didn't do what they were looking for or you, I just like did my own version of it and it didn't come across correct. You know, I think now it would have been better received, but, um, they seem the to time, be taking more chances in recent years, maybe than they were then. They're always great. I can't, I, I can't criticize. I'm just saying I'm more in a, as, as a plus of the people they're taking, even these, like this season, they took some people who are pretty out there in their comedy. I think, I think that's cyclical. I think SNL always, it's just, it's, it's the top tier of talent, even, you know, whether you make it or not on the show, you have something to be tapped. What do you feel like was the the first really big thing that you got that that changed things for you? Was it happy endings or something before that? Or the first big thing I got that changed things for me? I, <laughs> it's also foggy. Um, <laughs> I I booked my first movie was interesting. I, I was edited out of most of it. I made it a little bit, but my first movie was for Ang Lee and is called Taking Woodstock. I think there are a lot of a lot of comedians in that movie yeah yeah no i think there are two looking back so, I don't dimitri remember. martin right well dimitri was the lead yeah and eugene levy was in it um or levy never get that right sorry Dan. <laughs> um he, 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 i'm trying to think who were the other comedians but like yeah so that was my first that was my first thing that i ever like booked and i was kind of a surprise to book it it was at this casting office but that was run by av kaufman who's kind of a a legend in the New York biz and Emil Hirsch. A lot of my scenes were supposed to be the Emil Hirsch and, and it was supposed to go, that role was supposed to go to like a younger, cooler actor. 
you know, but I looked a lot like the real guy. So, and, and I, and I did a good job in my audition, but it was dr- dramatic. Most of it. But Ang Lee... Was that weird to sort of book your first movie as a drama after doing so much comedy? It was, but honestly, at the time, the UCB was such a place that you went to cast. Like, And I was doing... I was a little older, so I was already like on what would be considered like the main stage and doing more like interesting improv work. Like Some of my later work in improv, especially once I found a group of a team, a group of like, like-minded people when, and I was on stage like every Saturday night as like the main show at the theater. I think some of my work became more dramatic, became better acted, became more dramatic, became less jokey. And, um, so it wasn't, it wouldn't be a shock, you know, it would like happen all the time. Some director would see someone do an improv show and be like, I want this guy to play this. And, and I think I looked a lot like the guy and, you know, now looking back on it, that's a bit anti-Semitic because the guy, <laughs> it's like anybody that, you know, people are always like, are you, are you Adam Pally, Adam Scott, Paul Rudd? It's like, pick a Jew. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I got lucky. I got lucky and I did it right. And Ang, Ang, God bless him, liked my performance. And then I booked that. And then the industry kind of like, they announced it in variety or whatever. And like the industry was kind of like, whoa, cool. And, uh, put it on my IMDB. And I did remember that, that being that like help? a big deal. Yeah, it was like a big deal for me, you know, and um, went to the like, took my girlfriend to the premiere, got edited out <laughs> pretty much. But it was like, you That's know, tough. it's tough stuff. But like, I'm in there. I have a line or two of close up, you know, I have a good credit, really nice credit. But like that. So that was my first thing, really. And then I think after that, things just started. It wasn't like an avalanche of work, but things just started like going. Were you doing the whole pilot season thing for a while? Um, Not really. I had... I had been lucky enough to create some content early on, uh, comedically, even before booking that movie that kept me employed and paid and like a roof over my head. And so that was kind of like enough for me, you know, at that point. And I was like performing every night, literally every night. Um, so it was like, that was my, that was fine. That was like kind of all I was like looking for. And then one of those projects, like I needed to pitch out in LA and I did, and I auditioned for, I I guess I auditioned for community for the Russos and I got really close and they were like, Oh, you should, you should, you got to be here for pilot season. And which part on on community? It was, it was community had already been on the air for a year. So it was like, it was just like a new character. No, it was like a date. It's like a three line thing, but I was like improvising and, and then they were, and that was such a, a faith, like even the casting directors and everybody were like, you should, you should stick around. And I remember calling home and being like, Hey, um, I think I need to like go out to LA and I went out to LA and then, and then pretty soon after that I booked happy endings, but they had seen me for a couple shows already. And Jamie Tarsus, who's a legend had seen me the previous year and had seen, I guess was aware of me. So it was like, it was already, I like was like building somewhat, you know, it was a slow build it never and i didn't i wasn't the type of person that was just like boom you're on tv <laughs> you know um but that's okay that's that's good I, I i value that now looking back yeah i mean happy endings is just such a, a beloved show in a lot of ways and then it i you know i think it did okay when it was on the air and and sort of like champagne ill now it's on netflix and i was wondering if you're sort of hearing more from people who are seeing it for the first time on netflix because that's sort of a phenomenon that keeps happening with shows that existed and people think they're like new Netflix shows. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, a little bit. Sure. Yeah, it happens. You know, I think, again, even even a show like that, like there's so much there's so much good stuff out there. There's a wealth of good stuff. Like it's almost like there's a show per person. It does feel like that. There are shows that I'm like, I'm pretty sure they made this just for me. Yeah. Like there is, there is, there's like a show for dudes with a Steen last name with a beard. Yeah. 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 You know? That's, and that's, like, they're like, pump they, they those out, me. get those algorithms <laughs> working, you know? And they're like, this guy loves the glass blowing show on Netflix. Like more of that, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, but, but yeah, like they're so even now, like, I wouldn't say there's like an onslaught of people being like, oh my God, I didn't know you were on television. <laughs> it's funny. I was looking back at sort of the coverage of Happy Endings interviews with you when it came out. And the the big theme is just how progressive your character was because he was gay without being stereotypical. Well, it's official. I am retiring from gay. That's right. I'm straight now. From this moment forward, it's going to be a steady diet of boobs and dudes. Damn it. I am no longer interested in men. I am only interested in men. Come on. <laughs> From this moment forward, it will be a steady diet of chicks with... Damn it. I love guys. <clears throat> My favorite thing to touch is the penis. Okay, what happened? I went to a gay bar last night and nobody spoke to me. Not even a whiff. Let me guess the name of the bar. This is so fun. Manhole. Backdoor. Club tush. Dream balls. Club tush again. Is it club tush? It was Greg's, Jane. The gay bar was called Greg's. And I was just curious how you think that's aged, because now I think there's a lot more of like, should straight people even play gay characters on TV and that question. So did you think about it or do you think about it any differently now than you did then when it came out? Sure. Yeah, of course I think about it differently. Um, you know, it's an interesting one because like I really um, love playing that character and like if they rebooted Happy Endings, I would be heartbroken if someone else was playing that character. Um, like I would be gutted. Um, but I'm sure at the same time <clears throat> when the character was first created, there was someone more realistically like Max who when the part went to me was equally gutted. And so I don't know what the right what the right answer is. But I do know that we made the show with the best intent. And whether that, looking back on it now, has held up, maybe there, not maybe, I don't want to sound like I'm like defensive. Like I'm sure there's things that we could do differently. Yeah, I think that's true for any comedy, you know, that's a decade old or whatever it is. You know, it's like there are things, things, things evolve. Sure. But I am proud of that character. I am proud of the, sh like, the context of the show still. And I think that like time moves so quick that it's like there is a slight like at the time there was nothing like that, truly, you know. And so, I mean, in that level and, and there were people before like, you know, Steve Agee and Brian Posehn, those guys, they did it similarly. Yeah, before, but at that, show. yeah, but there was that was almost a gimmick based on how quirky they were. You know yeah. what I mean? It was kind of a it joke, like, whereas you, the, the joke was not that your character was gay. And yeah, and I think had we got yeah. had we got to go further, um, I think there would have been a lot more opportunities for me to play a more well-rounded version of that character. But um, such is life. Yeah, uh, you, you did do a little reunion on uh, on Zoom during the the pandemic with everybody, right? How what how was that uh, to? kind of recreate the, the show in that sense. 
Great. It's so fun. I mean, I love those people. I love those, those like, you know, I talk to Casey every day, which is, um, the best. And, you know, I'm still working with David Casp. Champagne Ale is David Casp. My next show is David Casp. You know, oh, I yeah? try to keep You're it in working, the family. What's the, what's the next show? I can't really talk about it oh, yet, okay. but um, <laughs> but it's with David. <laughs> um, so it'll probably. But be yeah, good. you know, keep it with. I keep it. I keep it uh, in the family. I e. No one else will work with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm very sorry. Coming up. Adam explains how he knew that Late Late Show gig was going to be a big deal and talks about how he ended up playing Donald Trump Jr. on The President Show. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. So you can check out our episodes with Adam Pally's late-night sidekick Ben Schwartz and The President Show star Anthony Atamanik. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Adam Pally. Sort of going back to, to UCB stuff, I had Ben Schwartz on this podcast almost two years ago, and we, you know, I made him talk to me for too long about the uh, the Late Late Show uh, experience, <laughs> um, which is just one of my favorite things ever. And it's it's so strange to me that it's kind of like disappeared from the internet almost like there are clips of it is it still i mean there there are like clips of it on youtube but you can't really see the whole thing and it's this like it's just become a sort of like more and more legendary as time goes on i think so i I would love to just since i talked to him about it to hear a little bit about it from your perspective um and you know for anyone who, who doesn't know this is you guest hosted the late late show in that time before james corden was gonna start and it just you had Ben Schwartz is your sidekick. It was in the middle of a blizzard in New York, right? At the in the uh, CBS this morning studio, which was an odd choice by somebody. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it was a choice. I think it was a necessity. I don't think. I honestly think it was like a contractual thing that was being like covered up or something. It was like something wasn't ready. Someone wasn't ready. You know, it was, it was like yeah. Ferguson left early or something. Like something wasn't. Something wasn't ready. right. <laughs> yeah. Which is always an odd to me in like television when they're like, it's not ready. What do you mean? You've known yeah. this, this was going on for like legit years. 
I also thought it was so funny that there was no audience, which in this weird way predicted what late night TV has been for the past you know year and a half, where the, yeah, everyone's no, doing it, right? You you were there no, first. No, totally. Oh no, I would never say that. But <laughs> I I definitely um, know what it, knew what it felt like to have no no audience. But like uh, I think again, like I I know what that feels like from being on stage, you know, and like part of part of part of comedy, I feel like is like the adapting and and then surprising people with how you're going to react to this new thing, right? Like a comic could have a perfect uh, uh, hour set that they've crafted for years and years and years and they get to the stage and no matter how good the freaking jokes are, one heckler screams out, I love you, and the comic goes, thanks, Dad. And the audience is like, I didn't expect that to happen. You know, yeah, it's like just the surprise factor. Like, the surprise factor is like horror. That's why they're so close together. It's like the surprise of it. So I think part of that was what made the made the late show so so good that when we hosted was like people hadn't seen what it was like to have a joke like truly bomb. <laughs> yeah. You don't get to see that too much on TV. Yeah. And I think luckily then the surprise is like you think the host is gonna sweat when the stuff says so it's not going well, but because Ben and I done so much of that and we just powered through and like part of it was like, we knew that was going to be the case. And, and the other part was just like truly having a good time no matter what. That's what I was going to ask. Did you, did you know before you started filming that it was going to be as big of a sort of train wreck as it ended up being? It was, I was getting, as soon as I got on the, as soon as I got to the, 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 the plane ticket, I could tell, kind of what was what was happening you know what i mean like i was like oh why do i have to go to first i was like i'm in los angeles why do i have to go to new york they were like that's where they're filming do you want it or not this is the last slot on a friday night (laughs) in january and i was like no no no, i want it i want it did someone drop out or do you think uh they what happened honestly i think they were scrambling i don't think they knew how long they were going to be without one or the other. And they were scrambling. Like my week was kind of crazy too. If you go back and like, look at the tape, because I believe it was like Whitney coming, Whitney Cummings was on the flight with me. And I remember us both bitching about how shitty this was, but, uh, Regis Philman did two nights, I believe. And one of his guests was Donald Trump. And I met Donald Trump. And this was like, was like right, jarring. I this have a was picture. Like just a, this was sort of like, what nine months maybe before you know seven months before he announced the campaign yeah he was this is the world was a way better place like it what was, was not uh, <laughs> what was meeting him what was meeting him in that context like cold cold like you know i was trying to do a bit and he didn't want to do it and then it was over you know um but like truly like and i think that was a tuesday so that was the first day i was like in the studio and i was trying to get my equipment out because i wanted to do some pre-tape stuff and they were like oh no you don't have any equipment i was like what <laughs> And they're like, yeah, this is all, this is all like props, like in this news department. It's all fake. There's no like, you can't use these microphones. Like what? And luckily my friend, uh, Sam, who had been a producer for NBC golf, he like had some equipment and we like scrounged it together. We like grabbed a thing and went out and, you know, just did what you could. But I feel like again, like that's, I don't know if Ben told you this story, but when Ben and I used to work at the UCB, Ben was a bartender and I was an intern, uh, we would, it was like Friday nights and this is like a long one. It's like 2003. We would, it was almost 20 years ago. We would clean up after the last show. You know, we'd watch all the shows like, you know, little kids with our eyes open, just like watching these amazing comedians do, do stuff. And we clean up the whole theater back to front, throw everything away. And then because there would be no one in the theater, we would get on stage 
and just like make each other laugh. And if there was another intern like cleaning up or if there was like, you know, someone working the booth or whatever. And looking back on it, like it was a really romantic time because, you know, our buddy Gil would drive in, um, who's now one of the head writers on Big Mouth. And and it, it would just be like. I don't know. There, there's no audience. So you're just the three of you are just like performing for each other. You're, you're, you're doing only doing it because you want to be doing it. Yeah. And it's five in the morning on a Friday night in Chelsea. You wanted to bring that energy to the to the Late Late Show? Yeah. It was, yeah, we did. We were just kind of like, what what if what if it isn't really being taped and it's just us in here right now doing this for ourselves? <laughs> Say something funny and we'll drink at the same time. Oh, all right. Go to one of your classes. Okay. Uh, I'm guest hosting the Late Late Show. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Terrific. Let's push through this part. There are going to be peaks and valleys of all of this. It's going to be a big it's valley. It's not all going to be great. <laughs> We're mostly going to stay, like, live in a plateau or a valley for a while. America, when I took this gig... Stop talking like all of America is listening. For a moment, realize what your demo is and how many people are watching this show. Before you put blanket the entire country that You're is right. watching you. There's only like two 16-year-old Filipino chicks watching Yeah, you. say like, parts of New Jersey, may I talk to you for a moment? <laughs> Let's talk to who's really watching. Dad. <laughs> it wasn't live, right? I mean... It was not live. No. Were you That's... were you surprised that it actually aired after you taped it? <laughs> no, I knew it was going to air. I knew it was, we were doing something special too. The producer Nick Bernstein, who still produces for James Corden, he's the one. I don't know if you've watched Corden lately, but he's on air now. He has like super long hair. They've made him grow his hair like super long since the pandemic. He's kind of a legend of late night, actually. Um, and he he was my producer on it and and I had met him early on. He was one of the first champions of me even auditioning for SNL. He, he found me when I was really young at the theater doing just what I was doing. And so he was my producer on it and he, he kind of felt after the first five minutes, he's like, this is something special. And so he kept pushing us to keep going further and further. And so I, I, when we were done, he was like, I don't know what that was, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> Okay. I, I enjoyed it too. And I then it the, was what it was. Yeah. I love that the very last thing that happens is that you say you think you just blacked out. Um, but what, what was going through your head either during or right after it ended? Were you, were you happy with, with what you guys had done? Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I tend not to think about it. Like I've had too many getting cut out of that Ang Lee film was a good life lesson. Like I've had too many, um, things go too many ways to ever feel like oh that's gonna be great you know <laughs> like <laughs> you just don't and so truly you can only like i was happy because i had fun doing it during the time and then after i was like no one will see it like you know i just i kind of just went about my day you know i think i flew to my friend i think i went to rachel bloom's wedding like the next day um and then did you start hearing from people who had seen it or what was I started the, what hearing was the, from people what was the seen fallout it that from night, it, either that positive night, started, or, or negative? Yeah. I started getting texted from people like during it and it, they were like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I was like, oh, I did something good. Because like, you, you know, like when a friend from especially a comedian friend texts you, it means that something you did like made an impact because they're 
we're usually a very jealous, callous yeah. group of people. If we see something, for, if, for the, if we see something we like, we will keep it to ourselves. You know what I mean? We're not <laughs> yeah. going to run around praising shit. <laughs> um, so if you get a text from a comedian friend or, or like one that's not throwing them out there that much, you're like, Oh, I think I did something good. <laughs> um, it seems like you've always had an interest in, in late night talk shows, um, given your appearances on, you know, Conan and, and sort of the long running bits that you've done on, on some of these shows. Do you, uh, do you put a lot of thought into what, how you appear, how you come across on these shows and, and how you, how do you um, think about it? Not as much how I come across how I come across or, or just probably yeah. my publicist is probably like, he should. Yeah. <laughs> um, not as much how I come across, you know, like I, again, I came up at a different time and my, my heroes would often, you know, like I would stay up if I heard Robin Williams was going to be on, um, the tonight show, I would stay up late to watch him. Or like if I heard even like Bruce Willis used to do crazy, funny bits with Letterman. And if I, if like Bruce Willis was going to be on Letterman promoting, you know, whatever movie, I would be like, yeah, I'm going to stay up late to watch that. And it was almost more fun for me than the movie. See what stupid hat he was wearing with the logo of the movie on it. You know, like he would one time he like rode in on a bus, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you mix that with like Jim Carrey um, and a lot of his bits, especially like after his Andy Kaufman stuff and Andy Kaufman, Steve, Mar Steve Martin, you know, I, Dave Chappelle, even on that. I mean, that's not cool to say right now. Oh, old Dave Chappelle. <laughs> not, not a 2021 Dave Chappelle. <laughs> but the reason that the way that Dave would like, you know, I don't know where you'd be like, is this real? Is this not real? Like I always really loved that. Always really loved, 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 loved. Like, you know, that, that energy that he had when he would go on Letterman or whatever. So, um, when, when I, it, when I started to, to be involved in that circuit, I would take a lot of pride and never, and I tried my hardest, like to keep, to, 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 to do something every time. Yeah. And topping yourself too. I mean, with the Conan costumes, it seemed like they only got more elaborate, uh, every time you would go on. <laughs> yes. That is a bit. Yes. Heightening that bit was a prison I created for myself. <laughs> is there, is there but, one that, that stands out to you in, in terms of just how it went or, or uh, you felt particularly proud of? I like them all. I, I, uh, I like each one is a different song, <laughs> you know, different track from an album. Yeah, I But think they're the, all by the same band, yeah, so you kind of yeah. know how they, how they go. The fat Batman and just the, with Jeff Garland being there and the whole dynamic, I think that one works, uh, works pretty well. <laughs> He's taking yeah, pictures Jeff's of you. Sweetheart. Yeah, he's a sweetheart guy. Um, <laughs> Never got really those funny. pictures. Oh, man. Maybe you'll, you'll see him someday. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, then there's the President Show, which is also sort of like a, a talk show parody in a way. Um, and it's just one of my favorite things from the past several years. I think it's really sort of the most successful uh, Trump related content that that has that was put out during that whole time um and i've talked to anthony tamanik a lot about it um did how did you get involved in that because you were a, a producer executive producer on the show yeah uh i helped um create the show with anthony um anthony and i go way way back uh we improvised together at ucb for forever and um 
early on when I had first seen his Trump, it was so good. And, you know, he, he, it was, it was so good, but it wasn't just the impression that was so good. It was the content was so good. You know, he was able to like really channel that kind of freewheeling, you know, kind of anarchaic, I'll say anything at any time, you know, he really is able to do that and, and improvise like Trump too. And, um, you know, part of, part of Trump's whole thing was being on television every day. And there was a certain, you know, when we were first conceiving, it, it was like, we could do a news network. We could do fireside chats. We could do like, yeah, but there are a million Trump different ways to do it. Yeah. But Trump would never do that. He would do the biggest, most ostentatious thing ever. And, you know, aside from the president, having a late night talk show is one of those jobs that there's no way you don't come out of it like a little fucked up, you know, to have a whole thing like that, that revolves around you 365 every day with no jeopardy of your job changing. And it's just like applause, 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 applause. It fucks. It, there's no way it doesn't mess you up. Did you, you know, working, working on that show, did you sort of follow the way that other comedy shows were handling Trump, whether it was SNL or the other late night shows. And did you, you know, think about how you guys wanted to do it differently? It was hard not to follow them, especially with like Alec w w at the time, I think was like a little bit, um, like get off my lawn, you right. know, with us, they had which a little is beef. fine. Yeah. Which is fine. Um, I love them both. Obviously my allegiance is to Anthony, unless Alec has a job for me. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but I think, I think, um, no, we, tr we tried to do our own thing. And again, like the producers on that show, I've been so lucky, really like super, super fortunate in my career to work with some of the best writers and creators and producers ever in the history of the world. And like, when you look at the happy endings, writers room, um, like 90% of those writers went on to show run, produce their own shows. And then that I've been just lucky enough to like be around similar things. And the present show was just like kind of a similar thing in that writer's room. Like all those writers, whether it's Ray Sonny, um, uh, Mitra Juhari, Noah Garfinkel, Alison Leiby, Christina Nangle, uh, Pete Gross, like, uh, Neil Casey, John Gamberling, like you're like, those all those people have gone on to become such like forces in the industry that the show at the time had no choice but to have like a crackling energy, you know. Whose idea was it for you to put, play Donald Trump Jr.? Oh, uh, that was Nangle. That was a Nang. That was Nang Gang. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How did you feel about the uh, <laughs> the casting? I liked it. You know, at first I was a little bit like I don't know, like because <laughs> they do they they did they. they like we, we weren't even going to do any other Trumps, you know, we were like trying to stay away from it a little, like we never did Ivanka or, you know, till the end, but they, they pitched it to me. And I remember I was driving back from a family vacation. I got, I got a car alone with all the luggage and I was like driving back and Ningle called me early and she's like, what do you think about playing Don Jr.? And we improvised together for like the whole car ride as Don Jr. And most of it was me in that voice, like asking if the place we were being interviewed in had a bathroom and she kept being like, yes, it's downstairs. We're like I walked downstairs. I didn't see a single bathroom. <laughs> like she's like, you didn't look. And I was like, I did look. I saw a sign that said men. I don't want to go to the bathroom with other men. She's like, that's the men's room. <laughs> 
Uh, it was like, and so like we were like, oh, there's something here to making him like a mimbo kind of, and it worked. It, it worked out. It was really fun. It's so funny because it's not even about health care. Repealing Obamacare is all about tax cuts for rich people like us. If we really cared about lowering health care costs, we'd move to a single-payer system so we could negotiate prices with providers. God damn it, get back under the desk right now. Plus, the whole thing with Obamacare was that a black guy told us to do it, and we did not like that. <laughs> and, then, and then you said he was born in Kenya, but you knew. No, no. You knew he wasn't born in Kenya. No, I did not. I did not. I and you only that. ran for president because you wanted to renegotiate The Apprentice. That the special that you guys did, the 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 fall of Donald Trump, that sort of predicted the future, was was one of the most incredible things. We were we were very prescient. Yeah, we were able to predict a lot of a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it's so good. So as we get to the end here, I want to do our our final segment, which is called the first laugh. I'm going to ask you about some firsts in your career. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start here. What's the first piece of comedy that you remember making you laugh really hard as a kid growing up? First piece of comedy, like actual, like where you're like, I know you're watching it and you're like, I know this is comedic content. It's like a movie, like you want like a pop culture, like movie. Yeah, a movie or a, or a stand-up or TV show. I was anything young. I was young. But there was a VHS copy of Three Amigos that I eventually would like play so much. I like ran it, uh, you know, when the tape would go down. And I remember two things from that movie two bits like making me just howl howl with laughter as a kid and one is the martin short my little buttercup which is like the musical number where he's in the thing he's like my little buttercup and then he starts doing it to the villagers and he's like and they're like smile smile he's like yeah they got it uh and they all think that they're like that it's just that movie's um, and then there's another bit with the reading of the telegram, which always got me, where the where they they go into like send a telegram. I remember this is so old time, but like the telegrams used to be like, "I am at you know San Jose Station, stop." They do this bit in that movie with Chevy Chase where he's reading the thing, and he keeps stopping, and she has to do. She's like, "More," it's like, "Right,", right. <laughs> he keeps reading. <laughs> and I remember as a kid just being so delighted. By that, and then there was another. This is more like crude, uh, but I remember in Funny Farm, the Chevy Chase movie, he's eating these like meatballs at like the local diner, and there's like a funny line. Where it's like those aren't meatballs; those are lambs balls. Yeah, I remember that. And he like does this hilarious like take where he like spits them back up. I think those are my first two like laugh out loud things where I like I saw myself. Like I was like, oh God, this is exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the first time that you knew that you were funny? I don't. <laughs> That's <laughs> is that okay. weird. I don't really know the first time I was funny. You know, like I was not I was not like a funny kid. I was funnier around adults. I was shy with people my own age. Really, really, really shy. I don't remember the first time I knew I was funny. I remember the first show I did, the first improv show I did, where like things clicked for me. And I like understood what I was doing and it was like super early on. It just felt like 
you know, you, it, so much of improv and comedy in general is like think you're just like thinking so much. You're just like, oh, I want to be funny. I want to write this joke. I want to be funny in the scene. You're like, oh, you're just like thinking about it. And so part of it is like you can only get really good at it when you know it so well that you like let let that go. And, it, and you have it all, so it just, like, kicks in automatically. It's like you're not even – it's like driving. You know, how do I get there? I, dr- I drove there. Did you get in an accident? No, I'm an amazing driver. And I wasn't thinking about it once, yeah. I didn't think about it once. I didn't think, oh, my God, I'm driving. Yeah. I just did it. <laughs> you know, like – but so in order to do that, like, you have to – you know. So I remember I did this bit. There's, like, this thing called a Herald, which is, like, the – and early on in improv culture, which is like, this is also dated now. I don't even know if this exists anymore, but there was like a thing called Herald teams. Like the, you wanted to get on a Herald team because you got stage time. And I, while funny and energetic, I was not great. I did not really know what I was doing. And I could like get by, by like being funny and like, you know, but I was like, not didn't click. But I remember I did this one show and in the first, you got to do three beats and each beat you wanted to like make them funnier and funnier. And uh, in the first beat, we, me and, and my scene partner played chickens and we were like nervous that the farmer was going to come grab us and cook us for the family. And we started like, you know, doing all this stuff like barricading the coop and, you know, just all this stuff and then. And then the second beat of it, we were, I came out and I made us like in, in Poland in the forties. And we were like nervous that we were going to get snatched by the Nazis. And I remember like that thought there's that, just that like small thought. And when I came out and did it, it got such a big laugh that we didn't even do the rest of the scene. Someone just like edited it because you knew. You couldn't get better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although I, I did look at my scene partner, I was like, motherfucker, I'm about to fucking yeah, cook here, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, um, yeah, you know, like what the, that thought, that like analogous thought for me at a young age, it was probably like 23 or 24. I was like, oh, that's how you like do it with your mind <laughs> a little bit. You like, it's just, and that, you know, and then, and then the rest of the rules just kind of fall into the background and you just kind of start like intuitively doing stuff. One credit that we didn't mention, which I, I believe was your first real TV role, uh, was on Californication, where you're credited as young Hollywood douchebag. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit that I have not seen this this episode, but uh, what do you remember from that experience? And did you have any uh, concerns about being typecast in, in that particular <laughs> way? I did find it funny. I was like, I had just moved to LA and I booked that part. I was like, <laughs> you're like oh. really? But no, I booked that part from the great uh, Beck. Beth McCarthy Miller, who directed those episodes, and um, she would later come on to. She's a Thirty Rock director. She was at SNL for a while, and I had known her from New York and for a while. And she she booked me in that part. And no, I did not really have um, any reservations about being typecast, <laughs> um, though it would come to fruition. Uh, uh, no, I was just so excited to work, so excited to work, and also like. You know, seeing TV get produced like that, like there's just TV, you got to move quick. Even if you're in cable, streaming, whatever, like you're moving quick, fucking move. And so anytime I was on set, I was like, oh my God, I guess to see how, how this thing works, you know? Do you remember the, the first time that you met a, a comedy hero or, or one time that you, that you met someone who you really looked up to in the comedy world and, and how it went? 
I've met a lot of my, I'm lucky enough to have met a lot of my comedy heroes. Um, Sandler was a cool one. Um, <laughs> Sandler was a cool one. Uh, I've met, met him a, 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 a couple times since, but um, the first time I met him, I got invited to a charity event from, did it, maybe it was, we work a lot with the same people, but someone invited me to a charity event because Eddie Vedder was playing at this house in Malibu and people know I love Pearl Jam, love Eddie Vedder. So I was like, yes, of course I wanted to go. So I went and, um, I like, it was kind of like a, a mixer. Like you went and you hung out and there was like a bunch of famous people there. It was like Judd Apatow and Jimmy Kimmel and Zach Galifianakis, like Kristen Wiig, like just a bunch of famous people, you know? And, um, and everyone like sits down and the kind of only, the only person that I like kind of knew was David Spade. Um, and so he was like, sit over here, sit over here. So I like went and I sat down next to Spade and, um, Sandler came and he sat like in the, at the, towards the end of the show and he sat down next to me. And like, you know, for me, that's like, that's it. That's like, you know, that's the guy that's the number one, you know? And like, I almost wanted to cry, but I was <laughs> You're like, wa- watching oh Eddie Vedder with Sandler. I'm next to watching you. Eddie <laughs> play like an unplugged show over a sunset in Malibu. There's like 60 people here. I'm sitting next to David Spade and Adam did Sandler. You, did you, like, did you think you were dead or? I didn't know what to think. I was just like kind of there. And then, and then San, Sandler turns to me and he's like, um, you like it when they, uh, he goes, you, you like it when they, uh, cover the who? <laughs> and I was like, huh, what? Talking to me? <laughs> yeah. And he had his like arm in a sling. He had like messed up his arm playing basketball or something. He's like, Pearls. And he's like, you like it when Eddie covers the who? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, I yeah. love it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> and he goes, hey, 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 check this out walks on stage like from his seat he just got up walked on stage and i was like what is going on and eddie goes ladies and gentlemen adam sandler is going to join me and then they played baba o'reilly and i was like whoa (laughs) that was cool (laughs) and he made it cool for me you know like he knew he gave you a little preview he gave me a little he was feeling himself and he gave me a little like check this out and i was like i was there for it and it was awesome that's hilarious uh, and then finally, uh, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out other things that, that are making them laugh right now. So what's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Something you've seen, someone you want to shout out who you really are enjoying right now? Well, I, Tim Robinson's uh, sketch show on Netflix, I think you should leave, is is pretty pretty genius. Amber Ruffin is the best. I, I hope they give her The Tonight Show eventually. Um, not saying, that you know, would be cool. but phew, yeah, it would be cool. What else? Hacks is brilliant. Ted Lasso is good. Another, another Sam Richardson jam. Another, another Sam Richardson jammer. Um, I wish I had more, you know, like I have three kids and they're, and I'm like moving 40, turning 40. And like the most interesting thing I have is like a good interest rate. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good. That's important. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, there's, I have no, there's nothing good or fun. Not, not funny, but, but good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you, I hope you get more time to watch comedy when you are all moved into your new place. Thank you. I won't, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks Adam. This was really fun. I'm, I'm really glad we got to do it. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. 
All right. Thank you again to Adam Pally for being my guest on today's show. Champagne Ill is streaming now on Hulu, and if you missed it the first time around, I definitely recommend checking it out. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.